Thank you. All right, we are now joined by a very, very special guest. It is San Diego Padres infielder Mason McCoy. Mason, I went back and looked. Uh, I had you on my podcast three years ago, so a lot's happened. You look great. How are you? I lost my hair, but other than that, I'm good. I got two kids now, so yeah, staying busy. I did double check that. I was like, 2021, that feels, it didn't feel like it was that long, but yeah, no, it's been three years, but you're the man. I always appreciate it. Like I knew, like I've been following you ever since like, you know, Seattle and Toronto and now, you know, with San Diego, I'm like, I gotta, I gotta get Mason back on. It's, a lot's happened this past year. Well, thank you. I appreciate you getting me on here. Yeah, no doubt. Well, uh, we'll start with this off season. Uh, you signed on with the Padres and you're getting an invite to camp. I looked and that happened relatively early in camp. I think it was like the month of November. Um, was that just like a big sigh of relief getting that all out of the way pretty quickly? Yeah, it was, yeah, I mean, it was pretty much the first day, um, they called me and it was kind of when a team I feel like shows you that, I guess, focus, um, right out of the gate, it was just a big deal for me. Cause you don't know, I mean, it's, it was my first for agent year. I don't know what to expect or what to, you know, some guys wait for months and nothing happens and all of a sudden they get a couple calls so I didn't know what to what to think but once I got that call and then we kind of started that little process with a couple other teams it was sigh of relief for sure to get that out of the way especially you know for me and my family how long do you have to play in the minors to become like an unrestricted just like sign anywhere free agent well I was drafted in 17 so and this was my first free agent year so seven years it's crazy. And, and you wait, did you say the first day they were, they, they gave you a buzz and they're like, Hey, they called. Yeah. They called my agent. Um, I think the first day I was, I don't exactly remember the day, but yeah. And then said they were interested and in, you know, all that. And then all the talk started happening and we got to, I had to sit down, had a couple meetings with them and got some stuff figured out. And yeah, here I am now excited. Yeah, dude, it's a big time. Like what? So like when you like were start, like taking, you know, stock of everything of like the situation, like what did you like about like the organization? Like what are you most excited about this season? Honestly, I didn't know much about it. Um, Tom Eshelman, actually, he was with the Orioles. He I was teammates with him. So I, I actually gave him a call at one, one point, just like, hey, you know, like, what do you think? What's what's you know, how'd you like the org, all this stuff? Because I didn't know I didn't know anybody that played in it, really. Um, but then he, you know, heard nothing but good things and the way they were talking and the way they value me, um, was something that obviously I'm not used to. You always hear like, especially in baseball, it's always, you know, the things that you're not good at. So then hearing like the positive things and things that they value maybe higher than other teams or things that I do well that, um, they value at a high level was obviously interest for me. And, um, yeah, it was just, I didn't know much about them and I didn't know, you know, I didn't know a lot of the guys on the team. So baseball is a small world though. You know, you play against the same guys over and over again. So you reach out and talk to them here and there about stuff. Friend of the podcast, Thomas Eshelman. Um, going to the Padres though with Manny Machado. I know you guys weren't in the Orioles system or he, you were coming up in the lower levels when he was there, but like watching from afar, I'm assuming like what, what did you like about his game? And like, are you excited to just like share a clubhouse and pick his brain now? Yeah. I mean, he was just, I feel like he did everything. It looked like 50%, right? Look, it was just so easy. It's just the game comes so easy to him. And just that ability to go out and be free and play is something that I, when you first get drafted and you're all uptight and you don't know anybody and you're, you know, you're trying to get everybody's names and trying to feel you know, what's professional baseball like. And then watching him play is just like, he just, you know, he's got that cool bug. He's just, he does it. I mean, he's just got the swagger and everything. So I kind of like that from when I first got to, to watch him play and then just seeing how he played the game and trying to implement that, um, how I carry myself still being professional and still being, you know, like a grinder and playing hard and all that stuff, but having that, like I'm supposed to be here kind of, um, mentality, which is what he obviously carries himself. I like that. Yeah. Everything he does, it looks like effortless. It's just like the most yeah. silky smooth throwing motion, just cool. Like, that's yeah, he's the best. He was he's my favorite player when I was growing up. So it's like, yeah, that's I definitely check out the Padres now. Um, what is your mindset though going into this spring training? Like, you know, they they showed interest in you early, big fan of everything they have going on. Where are you at kind of individually player wise? Um, I'm trying not to be like too like get my hopes up too high because I've had that happen before when I had like really high expectations and then um, you know, they didn't meet where I was at and it just was like a crash and burn, kind of a tough mental, um, 
thing to wrap around. So I try to stay even keel. I don't have really high expectations. I don't have low expectations. Just go in there and do my job and do the things that I'm good at, at you know, at a high level and put together some good at-bats and just showcase, I guess, what I can do and my ability. And obviously be a good clubhouse guy and get to know some of the guys while you're there is a big, a big important piece of it too that most people don't um, don't think about. No doubt. So I'm curious, what number big league spring training is this? Um, four, four, five, four. Yeah. Cause I was 2020, 2021 Orioles and then didn't get invited in 2022. And then 23, I was with, um, Seattle's in the big league camp. And then, yeah, that was a close one. I was very close to making the team in that one. Very close, but all part of it. Yeah. Well, that's what I wanted to find out. It's just like, when you're going into spring training for some of these places, like how stressful is it? You're going in, you're trying to win a job out of camp potentially. Like, do you, is it hard to not put too much pressure on yourself in that like month window? I was actually just talking to my wife about that today. Uh, Cause she was asking me, she's like, you think you're ready? Are you ready to go? And it is, I think it's different this year than what it had been in the past because I didn't necessarily think in 21 or 20 that I was competing for a job. It was like my first, you know, and they had, a, the Orioles had a bunch of guys last year. I, I did think that I was competing to an extent um, for a job. And I think that I got so close that I was like, Holy, I might actually do this thing. So I think this year it's, a, I get a little bit more added pressure, but at the same time, it's like, I know at this point, I know what I do and I know what I can bring to the table and it's just showcasing it. And if I think about that and try, they always say, trying too hard especially in this game will make you go and you'll start to start to dig yourself in a hole or go in one of those valleys so I'm just going to go out there and be free and just play the game the way I know and if they if they need a player like me then I would hope that that would be who they pick yeah I'm curious because like that there has to be like when you get spring training together you get a bunch of guys they're all trying to compete is there just like a what's the buzz around spring training when you have so many guys fighting for like so limited number of spots? Is it like, is every at bat like live or die or like, do you see other guys like going through it? Like, is that, is is that kind of the vibe for some of these spring trains and some of the things you've seen? Maybe for, maybe for some guys. Um, I don't know. I, I can't speak to everybody on that. I just know like in terms of myself, but I don't think anyone acts any differently. I think everyone's nobody's, not talking to somebody because they're competing in the same spot or, you know, whatever that means. There's no bad blood. No, we're all just, we're out there playing the game, just enjoying it. Whatever's happened supposed to happen. And you just roll with the punches. Like that. It's such a new, such a unique thing. Spring training. Like, you know, it starts out with like the, I feel like the first couple like big, big league games of spring training, there's like hundreds of guys there and they kind of yeah. get whittled. And the rosters get like slower and slower, you know, slimmer and slimmer as they get closer. Um, what so you've done grapefruit and cactus league? Yes. Do you have a do you have a preference? More more of my wife does. My wife likes Florida, but <laughs> I like uh I like I like the cactus league just because of the aspect of driving. Like that the the trips I just remember when we were in Sarasota and had to drive up to Fort Myers or wherever we were going, and it was you know two hours or wherever we were driving is far. And it's kind of like an all day thing where now it's like uh, you know, thirty minute drive, thirty five, forty minute max is what you would drive in Arizona. So I do enjoy that. That and the shared clubhouses is nice too. Where it's like minor league and major league. I I think that is huge, having major league and minor league in the same complex. So you can get acclimated with all those guys. You get to see familiar faces. You get to coaches, the staff. You kind of just you know you see face a lot, and I think that helps that transition from um, not being in minor league camp and then driving your car over. And it's like, Oh, like I got to get, you know, I'm not saying now, but when you were first drafted, it's like, Oh crap, I got to figure out who all these people are. And <laughs> I remember looking on my phone at every, all the coaches trying to remember like everyone's names. So I, I knew Yeah, that that's, I think the biggest thing is the, the shared complexes is big. We interrupt this episode to bring you a word from two apparel sponsors of this podcast. The first is zero negative. They are a brand out to inspire and empower individuals to find a positive message in everything they do every time. They promote positivity and mindfulness in all of their products. Check them out at zeronegative.com. And last but not least, Few Will Hunt. It's one of my favorite brands out there. It's a great American company out of Philadelphia. 
out to restore the dignity of hard work. It is by far my favorite shirt to work out in. Check them out online at fewwillhunt.com. Now back to the episode. I like that. Any any fond memories from that? Like, you know, what's your what's your favorite like spring training memory? Like meeting somebody cool, like just a cool experience you had. Um, like I said, like I said, my spring trainings, all my, the lower levels was in Sarasota. I think the the wildest thing because this was my first one this last year in Arizona was, um, like obviously Julio is a big deal, but each year I was also there, like all spring training. So I didn't know. Cause in, in Florida it's different, but I didn't know that people could come into the complex kind of like where the fields are and like hang out and ask for autographs. There's barrier. There's like a little line stopping them. But like when we walk out of the field, like it's free game, which was different for me. And so like, for me, it's not a big deal. Like I just go out there, you know, not very many people know me or whatever, but for, for like Julio, when I walked out and I saw Julio, I'm like, Holy cow, how is this guy going to get his work done? These dudes are running around. There's, hundreds of people like chasing him he would fake one way and then run another way and each hero would do the same thing like get everybody to think he was coming out one door and then go out another door but that was pretty cool and just for a fan aspect i think that's pretty awesome just to be up close and personal and i mean our bullpens when i was with the mariners our bullpens were right next to the fence so all the fans could go up to the fence and just watch all these bullpens and i don't know just having that would be cool especially as kids just coming up and seeing these dudes absolute guys up there throwing <laughs> yeah that's a great fan experience what do yeah. you think each road does he look like he could still play i feel like guys look at him and he's like he's still throwing 90 somehow yeah he i think he could still play just watching him run down balls in the outfield and hit balls and bp and do all these things i was and throw i mean he plays long toss and still throws i'm like this guy could do it he's a freak <laughs> Did uh did any other teams bring in like I know they do like guest instructors where they'll have like former players or just like legends I guess come through? Did anything in any of your spring trainings happen like something like that? I can't. I don't think so. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't really think so. I'm sure they had some guest speakers or whatever, but I'm so bad with remembering the names and remembering like past players. I try my best. I do the immaculate grid now to try to like maintain that so I can remember things. But no, I'm not good at it. I don't, I don't really remember. We did a lot of fun things in the clubhouse, um, like from ping pong tournaments to, you know, playing instruments to whatever it may be, like news of the day, just a bunch of stuff like that. That kind of gets everybody, um, I guess, acclimated. That was one thing when I got called up that they made me do karaoke with the Blue Jays. And that was – I was terrified, but I was very thankful that I was kind – I was forced to do it because it made everybody, like, have that – like it brought me everybody down to the same level. And, you know, there was just like a respect that was there that I got up there and conversations just happened afterwards. What song did you sing? Um, Back then by Mike Jones. So it was a rap song, old song. Oh. I didn't, I, I panicked, <laughs> I panicked um, out of the gate. I knew about it and forgot. And then I got on the bus and they told me to sing. And I was like, I have no idea. And I think I remember going up to Bo Bichette and I was like, I think I'm going to sing party in the USA. And he was like, Oh yeah, someone's did that, but like, that'll be good. So then immediately I'm like, well, I'm not doing that. So I ended up singing, I ended up doing that one. Um, and I thought I was going to read it off my phone. Like the, the lyrics, no shot. They played the music and I just had to start doing it. And I killed it. I did really, really good. And everybody was standing up. I got like a standing up and they smacked, they were smacking me. It was, it was good. It was a good time. That's fantastic. Also, yeah. I think, I think Bo Bichette was on like ESPN Sunday night baseball. And I feel like they made him do karaoke on there. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, I heard you sing a little bit. Why don't you? Yeah. I think that would have been, that, that would be a little bit tougher for me to do than just on a bus full of my teammates. <laughs> yeah. You're doing Mike Jones in front of Carl Ravitch. I feel like. Yeah, yeah no. <laughs> No shot. No shot. <laughs> Would not have gone um, over well. <laughs> uh, so we were talking about our guy, Ryan Ripken, earlier before we started. Uh, you play with him in 21 in Norfolk, friend of the pod, just the greatest dude ever. Um, are there any good Ryan? I, I texted him last night, and I he didn't respond. But is there any good Norfolk Ryan Ripken stories? The things I've heard about him are just like all-time guys guy. He always like gets the guys together, is like organizing like outings and stuff. Is that is that kind of like what that was like? Yeah. I mean, he is, he's the man. He is unbelievable clubhouse guy. Unbelievable person. I had him. We were teammates first 
every year I was there, 17, 18, 19, and 21. We were teammates. So I had him every year. Um, yeah, just an unbelievable – there's so many stories. Uh, his dance moves to him drinking tequila to – I mean, all of it. He just – he does it all. Um, I <laughs> – yeah, there's a lot of stories. I don't know what he would, which ones he'd want me to share, which ones he doesn't. So I might not do any, but I do. Okay, I'll, I'll do this one. He used to pound food. I'm sure he still does, but he used to eat like an a nauseating amount of food. Um, and I remember one time we went to, and it, it was all healthy. It was all good for you. I mean, most oh. of it. We went to a diner after a game one night, um, the Red Line Diner. I don't even remember where it was at, but he got a huge salmon rice broccoli he ate all of it then he got a side of something and then he got three large pancakes for his dessert i mean he crushed all of it like nothing just dominated it and i remember sitting there and i was like this is me and my one of my best friends zach jarrett talk about it too we talked he came down to visit and i was like you remember that time that rip ate all that food at redliner he's like yeah and he and he still was fine. Like he just could, he puts down some food. It's <laughs> impressive. It's seen, awesome. I feel like I've seen pictures of him when he's playing and he's definitely trimmed down since then. Oh yeah. 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 When, when in 21, when I was with him, he was eating, he was like strict diet eating. Like he would just bring like a chicken breast in a, I mean, just in a little pre-cooked chicken breast that he made and eat it. And that was it. But yeah, he slimmed up. He got, he was always very flexible. He was like one of my favorite first basemen I ever played with just because he, he'd go get balls. I might make a really bad throw somewhere and he would go out and get it or snag it or put that effort in. And a lot of first basemen don't do that. But yeah, unbelievable guy, unbelievable clubhouse guy. Where, I think he told a story in Norfolk. They made him go, or they make him, but like he volunteered, I guess, to play the outfield. And <laughs> like, do you remember that? Yeah, oh, yeah. I remember, I remember all, <laughs> all the rib stories. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He he did that. There's that was a tough year too because he wasn't playing very much, but just like his attitude every day was just the same. Like he was just the same guy, going out there having fun. He did. He volunteered to play probably just to get some reps out there. And I remember, yeah, he volunteered to go out there. But he can run a little bit. I mean, he's at he's athletic. I always told him that we needed to play basketball because I heard he could he could hoop a little bit. I hadn't seen, but I heard. I told him I'd take him one-on-one, but he couldn't take me to the paint. So it had to be strictly, <laughs> you know, outside of the paint because obviously he just backed me down. But never yeah, did get to play. He's, like, way taller than you would think. He's just, like, a, he's so tall. Yeah. <laughs> he is very tall, and he's got really long limbs. So I could see him being a little bit of a hooper. <laughs> I love the outfield story because he was, like, yeah, my teammates are giving me shit. They're like, God, he's like, guys, I'm like, not that. I'm like, athletic. I can like do this. I know. It's just, it was weird seeing him out there because he's always at first base and he's just long, lanky, you know, it's his rip. And then he got out there and he's like, actually making some plays and actually, you know, throwing the ball. Just, you never see him throw the ball because it's, he yeah. just catches it, throws it back to the pitcher, occasional double play, but you never got to see him throw. And I was like, oh, he's throwing it a little bit. All right. <laughs> Yeah. Might have a future, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, he's over here. Yeah, probably hurt his feelings a little bit thinking we we all didn't think he'd play the outfield. <laughs> uh, when you were in the O system, though, was there like, like who had like the biggest impact, like in terms of like your game? Was there like, or maybe a coach that like really worked with you on something? Like what what stands out from your early developmental days in the minors? Oh, geez, I've had a lot of good coaches. Um, I think he's still there, Ramon Sambo. He's like he's like my grandpa. Um, I mean, he got my my son a little gift, a little necklace. I think he was a guy who kind of helped me on the in baseball, but also like that it's not the only thing in life type of deal. Um, kind of outside of baseball too, more of my development in that that aspect of life. Uh, I still talk to him today. I mean, he was he was a big big impact for me. I think. Obviously, Buck was a big one. I had him in 19, um, and I had him in 21, too. And he would get on me when I needed to get to be getting on. And I remember one – I didn't, wasn't very good at backhands for the first half of my career. And he – I remember one time telling me, like, just field every ball backhand in practice, like every single ball. And he would come over there and just, like, work with me when I was at shortstop in 2019 um, when I got moved up to double A. And yeah, he was another big one for me. Uh, just, just good. There's, there's good people there, really good. And but then obviously, 
they started to kind of get rid of the guys that were there. It's like those are the two guys. I know they're still there, which would make sense because they're two very, very good coaches. Um, but those are two of the probably the biggest impacts that I had with those. How long does it take to get comfortable with like the pro ball lifestyle, even from just like a personal standpoint? Because like you came from like a big D1 program in Iowa. So like maybe you were exposed to some of this kind of stuff. But like what was the adjustment period like when you first got drafted, first got thrown into the minors? Like was that was that hard initially? Um, yes and no. So I played two years in the Northwoods league and I think that prepared me a lot more than what I gave it credit for at the time. Um, because you have a host family, you play 72 games in 73 days. It's very, I don't know what it is like now, but it is very similar to what a minor league schedule would be. You're on the bus for a long time. You're staying at not great hotels. So I think that, that helped me a lot in terms of like the lifestyle. Um, but in terms of like play, like I, I've never played with Latin guys before. And that was a big, that was like a bit when I walked into Aberdeen, there was like, it was, I mean, there was like 50 free, there were probably maybe more than 50 players there because there, there was no roster limit. Um, and there was like probably 25, 30 Latin guys. And I, never had to deal with that so having that language barrier was i think that was huge for me because especially infield a lot of infielders are latin guys and irving ortega i don't know if you remember that name but um irving ortega was the shortstop when i got there in aberdeen and he spoke zero english like zero english and so um, I, I remember he was always used to say like he'd always used to call me handsome and I was like, why are you calling me handsome? And he was like, oh, one of the guys was like, oh, he wants a ride home. Like he's, he's giving you compliments so you can give him a ride home. <laughs> so just like, but learning how to um, have conversations and get better with guys, like with a lot of guys that don't speak English and like I'm not very good at Spanish, I think helps build that relationship. And some of my closest friends, honestly, once I got drafted have been, have been Latin guys. I mean, I could name lots of them that I've, I lived with them in 20, 2018. I lived with three, three Latin guys. That was it. No Americans. <laughs> so I think that was the biggest the biggest change for me. Um, obviously, the players are you're playing with the best of the best, and that's a big jump in terms of the game. But baseball is baseball. You still got to go up there and hit it and field it and throw it. How are you with some of those like long like South Atlantic League bus rides? The Ripken made it easier. Ripken and the guys that are there, that, that good core group um, of guys, made all those bus rides a lot easier. Playing cards all the time, um, learning new card games you know, whatever it may be, having fun in the back. Uh, and then you kind of get, because when I went to Tacoma, when I got traded to Seattle and we started flying everywhere, I started realizing like, yeah, I kind of miss, I kind of miss the bus rides a little bit, <laughs> you know? And when I, then I got traded to Buffalo or to Toronto. And when I was in Buffalo, they went on bus rides and I was like, oh, I missed this. This is what I miss playing cards, hanging out, building that camaraderie. Obviously your body doesn't feel as good afterwards, but that's part of it. Did you ever have to like sleep on the floor? Like, I did. Where... Yeah. yeah, I did. I used to, but so I used to share um, on the bus. It was, I think it was like, it was Zach Jarrett or it was Ripken in front of me or something. And it was like me and Kervin Mosquito. I don't know if you remember that name. Kervin Mosquito sat next to me. So we had to double up because we were smaller guys. And I did that for 17, 18 and 19. So I doubled up for three years and then Zach Jarrett sat behind us. Um, but yeah, I mean, we it's all part of it. You just grind. So I, I had slept on the floor before. I just, we used to take turns like he would sleep on the floor and I would sleep on the, the top and then we'd flip. And yeah. Oh, you mean double up as in like share a seat with like sitting directly next to somebody? Yeah. And usually like you don't have to do that usually. Like usually there's seats that are open or whatever, but we were smaller guys. So we had to double up. <laughs> And yeah, it's like, also like, who would you rather sit next to? Like someone, would you rather sit next to me or would you rather sit next to Rip? Like probably me, you know, yeah. <laughs> Rip got <laughs> his be... own seat every time. <laughs> he had it. Yeah. He had it probably way too easy. He's probably comfortably sleeping in that full row by himself. That's yeah. not fair. I mean, he's pretty big. I don't know if he was comfortable even with two seats. <laughs> um, So we've talked about it just like, you know, your, your minor league experience, like you played, you know, six or seven years there, like, what how hard was it to try to like stay patient towards the end like you're in triple a you put up great numbers which i want to ask about in a second but just like was it hard like mindset wise to be 
patient or just wait your turn, I guess? Uh, yes and no. I think I think with everyone, everyone knows that they can be better than whatever they're showing. So it's like you might have a um, – like you might – like the year that I put up crazy numbers in Tacoma, like I know that I could play better than that. Like there was a lot of at bats that I gave away. So there's always going to be that, oh, I could have done this or whatever it may have been. But I think that's all part of it and just not trying to waste too much time thinking about it because then you think about it and then you start going down the rabbit hole. And that kind of kind of what happened this year with me at the beginning of the season um, with Seattle after I thought, you know, like I thought I was going to make the team and I won't get into all that. But um I wasn't the next guy up and then, you know, someone else went up and then it was kind of a, like mentally I was just pissed off and probably upset and frustrated. But instead of being able to just let that go and be like, you know what, it's going to happen when it's going to happen. And, you know, whenever that is, I'll be ready to do it. I did. I didn't let it go and I let it eat at me. And that's when like things started to get worse and worse and worse. And you start pressing and trying too hard. And then the games begins to get a lot harder than it already is. Um, so I think that's something that, yeah, that kind of made me not second. I don't want to say second guess because it's not second guessing, but made me more mad than what I should have been. Um, and then I remember talking when I was sitting down, we were sitting in Buffalo. I remember, I remember the night that I got the call, I was just sitting in Buffalo and we were on, I was looking at houses on our phone. Cause we're like, man, where are we going to live? And we're, you know, well, if I don't get, if I don't get called up and I, you know, now we're risking buying a house on if I'm going to get a contract and all that stuff. And and then I remember I put my phone down and not 15 minutes later, I got a phone call from our coach and I was like, what is going on? It was just one of those, you know, this is when it's supposed to happen. Probably the, the least deserving at the time in my career that I probably thought that I deserved it in my head was the time that I got the call. And sometimes that's the way it works out. Yeah, no doubt. I, I, yeah, I, I wanted to ask about that too. It's just like, so when you got the call to go up to Toronto, did it was it far enough in advance that you could plan having like, you know, your family, like friends, like was it one of those or was it kind of like a rushed, like just get your ass there, figure it out later kind of thing? Um, I don't necessarily think it was rushed, but like it was also in Canada. So like my family didn't have passports. So nobody was prepared for that. Um, and then even when, like when you apply for a passport, it still doesn't come for, you know, it takes a while. So not necessarily that, but they did call me. I think they called me at like 11. My coach did. And he told me, he was like, I will not call you unless you're going to be called up and like, you're going to get activated because it happened with Seattle a couple of times when I got called up and got there and then didn't get activated. Um, so he called me and was like, you're going. And I think the next morning I left at like 1030 or something. And then, yeah. Then it was all, it was all from there. I got stuck in customs forever. I was, we talk about like when it's meant to be, it's meant to be type of deal. And I was in customs waiting to get like my visa, work visa, computer shut down. And I was like, I called my dad. I was like, if this, if I don't get to go because of this, like this, I'm done. I was like, I'm not doing this, <laughs> but no, it, it all worked out. So I don't, yeah, maybe not necessarily rush. Cause I didn't play that day. Um, I was on the bench, obviously, and got at, I don't. I think I got activated that day, but I'm not sure. Yeah, but no, it was good. And then a lot of my family got to come out to Colorado for the next series, which was nice. I love that. Yeah. Well, I saw an interview. You talk. You're you're at bat. Um, you said before you got up to the plate, you took you took a moment, kind of try to take in the moment. Um, what did that moment mean to you after everything we just talked about, like you know the minor league journey? Like what what did that you know getting called up and getting in at bat mean to you? Um, I mean, that's a good question. I, I think it came so fast because I wasn't ready for it. Whit Merrifield actually came up to me. He was like, Hey, like you might want to get ready because this is kind of a situation where they might use you. I was like, all right. So I literally stood up and I went and I rolled, started to roll out and they're like, Hey, you're leading off. So I didn't have time to really like process at all. I was just like, Oh, let's just do, I don't even know what the scouting report on this guy is. Let's get in there. But yeah, walking up and, um, just taking it in was, I don't know, something ever you always dreamed of. And I didn't know much about Toronto Stadium, but it is like a different planet over there. I mean, the it was like half open, so you could see the the big tower. It was all lit up red. I just felt like I was on another world. And, uh, no, I got up there, and I had a decent at-bat. I just couldn't feel my legs for like 
I mean, literally until the last pitch. Like, like up here, I was good. Like, I was yeah. calm up here. I'm like, man, my legs were shaking so bad. I was so nervous. And then I think once I got full count or something, I was like, all right, I feel a little better now. And then as soon as that bat was over, I went to the field and I was good. I was fine. It was just... I was going to say, was that the same game where you made that sick diving play in the hole? <sighs> yeah. Literally, like, yeah, two at the next, I think it was one out. And yeah, he hits me a backhand and I laid out and I threw it. I was so close. So close. Vladdy was like, my bad, my bad, Poppy. I was like, no, it's fine. Should have, you know, should have threw you a better one hop. But no, that that was the same game. Um, yeah, just a surreal moment. Something obviously everybody dreams about and being able to actually have it come true. I think once I talked to one of my buddies, Forrest Wall, he actually debuted at the Braves um, this year too. He was kind of an anomaly, um, his whole story this year. But I talked to him. I was like, have you sat back and like thought about or like reflected? And we both were kind of in agreement. So, like, I don't know whether you can actually do that until you're done playing, and then you can reflect on all the things that have happened. Uh, you can enjoy it, and kind of you can be as present as you as you can. But I don't think you can truly like understand all the things that you've done until you're done playing. So, just rolling with it and just enjoying it day at a time. Yeah, and plus, it probably happens also like really, really quick too. Where it's like you want to be able to have this like moment that you'll remember for the rest of your life, but also like not have it feel rushed. I feel like that's a hard line to walk when it comes to making a debut and get your first AB. For sure. And then it's like, there's so many other things behind closed doors, like insurance. And, you know, there's all these other things that you have to sign your, your contract, your, um, there's, there's just a lot of stuff that you're signing papers and you're meeting people and they're showing you facilities and you're getting your stuff. And then it's like, I don't know what their schedules are like. And then the food is like, ridiculous i mean the food was ridiculous so then like dealing with all that stuff on top of and trying to maintain your routine when there's just so many lights i guess you if if you will lights on you and cameras and all this stuff it was just, it was just different i think there's a little bit um, more of a comparison it wouldn't be as like drastic but obviously it's the league it's supposed to be drastic it's supposed to be the glitz and glamour and all that stuff but i think that's what it was. You were more starstruck at all the the accessories, like the flights and all that stuff. It was just like, what is going on? <laughs> I've heard I've heard the pregame spreads at, at big league stadiums are just unreal. Yeah, I mean, again, I can't speak to all the teams, but like just Toronto's was Toronto's just first class or like, I mean, everything from top to bottom was ridiculous. And I'm a big sweets guy. I crushed the sweets, and they had like healthy cookies if I don't, if a cookie can be healthy i guess they had healthy cookies <laughs> and whatever so i got my fair share of those uh, yeah absolutely you mentioned superstars and that was a locker room you walked into that has a ton of superstars you mentioned vladdy like there's so many guys on that blue jays roster like what was it like walking into the locker room and seeing guys that are like all stars and just like superstar players in our game um uh, a little overwhelming i think at the time but that that clubhouse is so like tight knit laid back. I mean, they are all of them, like all those guys, you could talk to each and any, any one of them you possibly could. And it would be, you'd get the same feedback from everybody, the same vibe from everybody. Um, so that made it a lot easier, obviously, but like a couple of guys I played like Ernie Clement, I played with actually in 2019, I played against him. He played for Akron and I was teammates with him in Buffalo. So he was there, he was, he was there when I got there. So just having him, he kind of showed me the ropes when I first got there. But as you talk to guys, like Kiermaier went to a junior college in the same conference as my junior college. So it's just like there's something you talk about and, like, you know, Midwest guy, Indiana guy, just stuff like that. And, again, baseball is a small world, and everybody wants to get to know their teammates as much as they could. I got asked to come play cards on the flight with a couple of the guys. And I was like, there's no way I can hang with you guys. <laughs> my funds are not, bucks. Yeah. My funds are not where your funds are at right now, but <laughs> I appreciate the offer. But yeah. No, that, that clubhouse was just really good. Obviously you have the big names and the, but they're all, they're all human beings. They're, they're all people doing the same stuff you're doing every day. I like that. There's like a period of just like, inter, like, mi like mixing it up and just like getting to know guys. Like, that feels like it's probably a really welcoming clubhouse, like you said, but um, did, did it feel extra? Like, did you feel like extra welcome when you walked in there? Um, I 
people did come out of their way to sh- shake my hand, congratulate me. I think that that goes a lot longer or a lot farther than you know, like a passing hey or whatever, like an actual introduction, like hey, how's it going? Blah blah blah. Congrats, you know, and like making it making it more personal. Um, and Kiermaier was really good. He was kind of the head of that that locker room um, post game talks and all that stuff. He was kind of the head head honcho. So I got. I got to talk with him a lot. He kind of made me feel welcome right out of the gate and making me do karaoke was all part of the, all part of the plan. <laughs> did you, uh, did you know Gosman before? I did not know Gosman before. No. Um, I don't, I think he was there maybe the year I got drafted. I'm not sure. I don't know when he, when he left, but no, I didn't know him. I got to talk to him a lot. Um, first couple games. Cause he, I think he threw the day before I got there. So he was on the bench hanging out and, talking up really super good dude all this yeah. i didn't i didn't meet one guy when i was like oh man this guy you know this guy's arrogant or this guy's stuck up or whatever no, none of them they're all super down to earth people i miss gosman yeah he seems like super chill he's got long hair now oh yeah <laughs> he's got the flow yeah um i wanted to go back to seattle for a second though because so there i read a story a couple years ago in baseball about did you play with mike ford right i did Mike Ford's, if you haven't, like, like good, read this guy's story. I think there was, in 2022, he had 32 different transactions. He was on four different AAA teams. He must have racked up the most frequent flyer miles frequent flyer miles of any human I've ever seen. Um, did Was that something that, like, did you know, Mike? Did you, like, talk about that kind of stuff? Because that's, that's an incredible amount of moving. I knew, so Mike was only there um, 22, probably I mean, not long before he got called up. And then that's when the whole bouncing around all started. But I didn't really talk to him much in 22. But then in 23, this last year, he came back. And he's an unreal, like, unreal, super smart. Um, I think he went to Princeton. Like, super smart guy. Um, Yeah, but he was – when you talk to him about that, he's just like, yep, I was was just ticket after ticket, going place after place. But – yeah, he, he was a really, really good clubhouse guy. And I didn't really get to talk to him much in 22, but Kevin Padlow actually was kind of – he kind of went similar. He went from, you know, Seattle to the Angels to the Pirates to the Giants to the – I mean, at one point we played him. He played on our team, and then the next week we played against him because he played for Sacramento. And then – like a couple weeks later, he was like back on our team, and like he bounced around a lot that year too. I have to check him out, but yeah, I got to know Kevin a little bit more than I got to know Mike that first year. Yeah, he, that's, that's insane. Like, yeah, I know, and it can happen like that quick. It's crazy. Like, how as a player, and also probably just as a human, like how how do you think you're supposed to handle all of that? Like, it, do you think that would be tough from the perspective of just like, you know, the uncertainty, and also just like you have to have like all your shit packed up in a suitcase at it, like a moment's notice, I feel like too. Yeah. There's no way I'd be able to do it with kids. That's for sure. I'd probably just send them home. Um, even just getting traded at the deadline for me, I was like, this is overwhelming as is. I can't imagine when, you know, you get, you get to a place and then, you know, you're, you clear way or, you know, you get, you, you get DFA, you get claimed by another team. You're there for like, a week and then they DFA you and then you're like waiting, waiting and then, Oh, someone claimed you. And then you go somewhere else. I mean, I think that would just be like a mental, just mind boggling experience in general. And just trying to stay focused on like, I'm still playing baseball because you can't do anything for those, those days. When I got DFA from Toronto, that's like, you just had to sit in your room. Couldn't do nothing. I mean, you can go home, but like, there's nothing you can do. Having to do with that. I can't imagine. How do you handle a short-term living situations? Do you do month by month at places? Like how – Mike probably just said week by week at some point, unfortunately. He hoteled it. He did hotel. Yeah. Um, but a lot. some guys will do hotel. It's just tough. Like, I again, I have a wife and two children. So we like will probably get a house, I would assume. We'd rent. And then you kind of hopefully get a – the people you rent through, hopefully they're kind of nice enough to be like, yeah, we'll do month to month you know if something were happening like don't worry about it type of deal and that's kind of what happened when i was in tacoma i had a place and when i got traded i was like you know i still got three months left on the two months left on this lease and she was 
she canceled the lease and, you know, help, help work with me there. And, you know, we're all human beings too. And you like to think that they would be human beings and understand the situation and not be stuck on the money grab. But I do know a lot of people will just do hotels. Um, that's something I think we'll have to, I think if stuff starts to get chaotic with me at some point this year, like they'll just come home and then I'll deal with it by myself if I'm bouncing around or whatever it may be. But it is tough. It's, it's a little easier by yourself, but you know, with kids and the family, it's even with a wife, it's a little more difficult. I can't imagine. Yeah. Living out of a hotel. Like that's, I think, I think, yeah, I think Brian O'Grady did that. I think because he was back and forth between El Paso and San Diego in 21. I think he was just like, yeah, I just, I was, I lived out of like a extended stay, whatever. That's, that's, that doesn't get talked about enough with like fans and stuff, but yeah, like the personal, like some of the logistical aspects of playing this game are insane. No, it's, they're ridiculous. And then that's like, people don't, people think that all you do is you get up, go to the field and hit and play baseball. And it's like, well, there's other things that go on behind closed doors that can affect that, that can affect that game. Yeah. Like when I got, I'm not making excuses, but like when I got to Buffalo, like I didn't play good at all. Now I'm not saying that I, that I could have, I could have done a lot better. I could have played better, but it's like, I also just went across the country with my family. They, they didn't have a car for two weeks and I was gone for two weeks. I got there on like a Saturday and then we went on a bus ride for two week road trip. And I had to go walk to get a rental car for my wife to drive around with the kids in an apartment in a place she's never been in a, without her stuff because all of her stuff was getting shipped in her car. So it's like stuff like that weighs a toll on you. It's, I'm leaving my you know, a wife with a rental car and two kids in a place they've never been, a place I've never been. You're telling me that's not going to be in the back of your head? everybody's going to be thinking about that, you know? So it's stuff like that, all the stuff that goes behind closed doors, deaths, people that pass away to, you know, there's, there's just a lot of extra stuff that goes on that has a direct correlation, a direct effect to, to playing. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, you know, you got to paint the full picture. There's a lot of stuff that goes unnoticed. I think, yeah, yeah. I, think I think that's good. Um, yeah. I had a question because I saw you had a career home run year uh, in Tacoma. And I was reading that that league, the Pacific Coast League. So they just somebody said it was like hitter friendly and like home run oh, hitter friendly. I'm curious, yeah. what does that actually mean? Like, what was it about it playing in that league that you're like, I'm a 20 homer guy now? People think it's the whole league, but like it's not. Like Sacramento is a graveyard. Um, there's lots of places that are a graveyard. People said Salt Lake City was supposed to be a launching pad, and it played pretty true every time we played there, but the places that they do fly are Albuquerque. Go figure your high elevation ball is flies there. Not a great place to pitch, but then El Paso, same way. El Paso ball flies kind of a short porch to right. Tacoma's down the lines, but that's every ballpark. Um, and the wind every once in a while kind of push to right center. So you can get up and into one to right center, but it's not, it's not like, crazy crazy unheard of at this point i think i played at all the triple a stadiums pretty much and i know for a fact that there's some in international league that are pretty hitter friendly parks um wooster or whatever I, I don't know how to say it their their field's pretty hitter friendly uh to right field they got a monster but lehigh valley very hitter friendly park so i think it's just park to park but um yeah i think it's more it's more than just like the whole league, like well, Las Vegas. I can't forget Vegas. Vegas is, was a joke. That field could have been 500 feet and people would still hit, you know, 20 homers. I mean, the ball it just, something about it. Ball just went. I don't know if the wind was some, it was always, there was always a lot of home runs there, but yeah, yeah, I think it's, I think it's field by field, just like every place. Oklahoma city's in there and that place is a tough place to hit too. Must kind of must suck to be a pitcher in the Pacific League. Oh, yeah. Well, especially, yeah. Well, you're trying to, it's just like, what suck is like if you're, maybe you're, because the rotational switch every week, and maybe you're, the time you throw two times in the week is the time you go to Albuquerque. Or like, then it's like, oof, this could kill my, <laughs> my year. It's if I have two, bad. yeah, if I have two bad outings, this could kill my year. Um, that's where it's, it's tough. But I think, all that is also factored into play. Like if you hit 
300 in Las Vegas, I think that it's like, okay, well, you hit 300 in Vegas. What does that, you know, what does that equivalent to in other places? It's all part of it. But it's it's like, again, it's like everything. You go to Colorado, you go play the Rockies, and it's like, tell me that's not a good place to hit. Yeah. (laughs) There's definitely hitter-friendly parks, and there's definitely parks that aren't as hitter-friendly. We interrupt this episode to bring you a word from the official sponsor of Not For Long Media and the Breaking Bats podcast, the original Fudge Kitchen. It is a staple of the Jersey Shore with six locations in Cape May, Wildwood, North Wildwood, Stone Harbor, and Ocean City. The original Fudge Kitchen makes all of their fudge in-store guaranteed a delicious product, so stop by and let them know that Not For Long Media and Breaking Bats sent you. Check them out online at fudgekitchenswithans.com as they are shipping fudge and sweet treats all across the country. Now back to the episode. How great was it being a 20 homer, 20 steel guy, though? Pretty crazy. Um, yeah. I, I got on, like, and I didn't think it was feasible for a while, and then I just got hot, and I was just, like, my – I was, you know, they say you go unconscious. It was just kind of unconscious. Um, I need to get back to that unconscious level. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, that was that was pretty cool. Something that – I think I was the first guy in Tacoma or something to get it, so they made a big deal about it, and it was pretty awesome. That's a big part of your game. You're 90 for 106 in stolen bases. That probably is that probably might not be accurate. Um, but you you're fast as hell, dude. Like, how much pride do you take in your base running ability? That's so cool. I do. I take a lot of pride in it. I work at it. Um, the forest wall, the guy I talked about, he steals a ton of bags. You'll have to look at his stolen bases. I mean, he went, he was at like 44 for 46 at the halfway mark this year. I mean, he swiped so many bags, but he was a guy that I kind of learned off of and he told me about like my leads and all that stuff um i do take pride in it the hardest part is just getting to first base though (laughs) getting to first base is hard uh so that but i I do like it i do like running i like i think that's part of the game that's kind of become a lost art um moving around smart base runners you know doing stuff like that so i kind of i kind of take pride in that and getting on base and even getting good jumps i think it gets slept on. I am at first base. I get a good secondary and you hit a ball in the gap and all of a sudden I can score on it. Or instead of, you know, you, you hit a, a long single and I'm on third base. Now I score and you just got an RBI when I was on first base, stuff like that, I think goes unnoticed um, that I think needs to, it's all about scoring runs and that's how you start to score runs. I feel like with all the analytics they have now, there should definitely be a stat that like taking the extra base or going first to third or like turning a double and f- turning a single into a double. Like, I feel yeah. like, yeah, you're right. That doesn't like, there's no official stat for that. But like, if there was, like, would you say you're a pretty high clip of, of that? Maybe. I mean, I, I play hard. So you'd think that guys that maybe played hard and always try to take that extra base, they would, they would be better on that. Um, I'm sure there's some sort of, statistic or analytic out there that shows it i know there are for leads because i was told something about my leads too um how far you are off your base compared to the league average and all that stuff but no it would be cool it would be cool to see see who would be top of the top of the end will be at all that stuff because i bet you they score a lot of runs and i bet you they're pretty high iq players that that are doing those things you know your sprint speed no not a chance no idea huh how come they don't do that in the minors like they do? Like, there's no like stat cast for for how fast you guys are down there. I'm sure they. I'm sure there's something, but I just don't. I don't really know about it. I just know that I can run a little bit, and <laughs> I think everybody can run a little bit if they really want to. You know, like if it's like you're over thirty and you get a broken bat chopper to shortstop, I bet you you're chugging to get to first base a little harder than maybe you normally would if you were 30 for 30 and you hit a ground ball, you know, um, but no, I'm not, I'm not really sure. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's also, that's hilarious to think about. Yeah. If you need a hit, you'll oh. run faster than you ever have probably. Oh my. And you'll be begging for it. If it's a bang, bang play, you're going to be like, please, please give me this knock. <laughs> give me every one of them that I could possibly have. They say it evens out. They never even out. They never even out. The baseball never. gods. Yeah. The game doesn't, it doesn't do that. No, I mean you hit you know I mean line drive missiles that you hit somewhere and you get you're out. You're telling me you get a broken bat or a cheap hit every time you do that? No, no chance. <laughs> no chance. Dang, it's not one for one. Okay. No, I wish. That would be nice. <laughs> uh all right. Well, I just have a couple last quick questions for you. Okay. Um, so 
a couple years ago when I had you on, you we were talking about you made that cool no-handed throw the ball with the glove play. I saw yeah. you did it again the next year. Yeah. I'm curious, have you done it again since then? And do you still practice it like you said you did uh, a couple years ago? Yeah, I actually I do it every day. Like I did it today out there and on the field when I was taking ground balls. Um, I have not. I didn't have an opportunity to do it this year. But yeah, I did it. I did it last year um, or in 2022. I did it. Yeah, when I was in a shift and the ball bounced over the pitcher's head, and I had the same opportunity to do it. Funny enough, the guy that I did it on was my teammate this last year, um, Kian Wong. So he was like, "Yeah, do you remember that? That was that was so bogus. I was so confused on how like what happened." But no, I still practice it. I still do it. I think I'm getting. I can throw it. Like if you gave me a ground ball at third base, like regular depth, I could do it from third to first for sure. Across yeah. the diamond without, without across using the diamond, your... no bounce. Yeah. I mean, I did today from um, – I was messing around, and I got one at second base, like where second baseman would normally play, and I threw it to the dugout. So you'd think – to the dugout on third base side. So you'd think that I probably – I mean, I could probably do it. Now, would I ever do it in a game? I'd be, I hope I'd never come to that <laughs> from, from third base to first. But, no, I could I, I could throw it a little bit. How do you get that much on it? I don't know. I think it's all lever or uh, like like catapult would be like I pinch it between like my middle finger and my thumb and my glove and then in my palm and then I'll just like let it like roll off. Yeah, I could. I mean, I could get it going. I throw it pretty hard if I get if I get some good trajectory on it. I saw, would ever thought that I'd use it and then like all oh, I've used it twice already. Like, that's twice. I know. <laughs> like I never would have ever imagined that I'd ever do that, and it it happened. Hey, you know what? This this is the year. We're gonna see it again. Yeah, I I hope so. Hopefully, some people got it's funny, you know, like the your keyboard warriors or whatever you want to call them, and like they, you know, people will hate on the play. It's like at the time, like I wasn't thinking. I was just getting the ball and getting to first base, and the quickest way I knew how to do that was throw with my glove. You know, that's the quickest way I could have thought. And I obviously or obviously had trust in it because I wouldn't I wouldn't have done it I probably would have looked like an idiot if I messed it up but that wasn't even in my head <laughs> it just like dribbles out of the front doesn't yeah, even go no. very far. I've done it so many times it better not fall straight down <laughs> <laughs> although people might be wondering like what's next like you've already mastered that skill you should like take the glove off and throw the ball with the glove in it <laughs> I'm trying to work on some other ones trying trying to I got the kick one down you forehand it and you catch it in your glove and then you kick your glove and the ball comes out. Just mess around, you know. You never know when you might have to use something. Something. Yeah, exactly. Like, what if the ball gets stuck in the mesh or the webbing part of the mitt and you have to, like, throw the mitt? Like, Got to be able to throw a glove. Yeah. <laughs> you got to be able to do it. Yeah, expect the unexpected. <laughs> yeah. um, of all the minor league uniforms you've played in, do you have a favorite? Ooh, that is – that's a good one. Um, Tacoma had some cool – we had some cool ones when I was in Tacoma. I'm trying to think of a specific – probably the Day of the Dead jerseys are like um, – we had Day of the Dead, I think, jerseys, and they were sweet. They are like white, and they had like the, the skeleton on it and stuff like that. Those are probably the coolest – the coolest ones that we've worn but there's so many jerseys you wear through the years that my buffalo had super cool like buffalo had the best hats that i've ever worn coolest hats like the new era headquarters is in buffalo so you could get like limited edition stamped hats where like they're out for however long and once they're out there's no they're not making any more of them so you could get some cool hats like that and buffalo had some cool like they had a frosted buffalo and it was like there was like snow falling off of it um, on their hat. It was like that has a sweet hat. So I, I kept it. I do keep. So I'll have to maybe whenever I get another house or get all my hats out, I do. I kept every hat that I've liked from the day I got drafted on. So like I have the Aberdeen Fourth of July hats and I have like I got I got tons of hats. I have the um, the Aberdeen, the old school logo with like the actual plane on it with the face. Like I got some cool ones. So. I got lots and lots. I'm excited to bust them out one day and put them on the wall or something. You would have just like the coolest shelf ever. Yeah. It'd just be yeah. like the longest, like a wall size shelf. And it would just be. That's the plan. I think I'm gonna do like plexiglass cubbies and I'm just going to have, so you can see the fronts of all the hats. That'd be the plan. 
Now, will that eventually happen? It's got to eventually happen. Otherwise, I'm just collecting hats for no reason. <laughs> yeah, you definitely need a man cave or just like a basement with all that stuff in there. Something. I got to get something. I like some of those Norfolk ones. I there's like I like the digital camo. Like the green is just kind of cool. Yep, I kept that one. I kept uh, I kept that one, and then I kept um, the. I think there was maybe the Latin Knights, the one of the Latin hats too. I've kept. There's there's always some cool ones. Buffalo had a chicken wing hat that I I kept. It was a it was chicken wing, a celery stick, and a ranch. I was like, this is cool. I'm gonna keep it. I need to, I need to go find that online. That's that's yeah. the coolest yeah. hat ever. It was pretty cool. It's pretty awesome. I uh, I saw a quote from the, your manager in Toronto. He said you're a blue collar player. Um, what does being a blue collar player mean to you? Um, maybe I think going about my work every day, no matter you know what the whether I'm hitting five hundred or a buck fifteen, like I'm just going to go about my work and get everything that I need to get in done. Um, in terms of playing, I think it's just. <sighs> I, I, I don't like to use the word grinder all the time, but I think it's more or less being a grinder, doing the stuff that maybe like, like we talked about earlier, taking that extra base, stretching a single into a double, um, laying out on a ball when a runner's on second base with one out, laying out on a ball just to knock it down so the run doesn't score or two outs or whatever. You know what I mean? Stuff like that. Um, I think those, those are the things that, in a game of analytics now and all this information, the things that kind of go unnoticed are those types of things. And I think, yeah, blue collar would be another way of saying grinder, a dirty worker, a guy that, you know, no matter, no matter what the, the case may be, he's going to get the job done or give it, you know, his best effort. I like that gritty. That's yeah. That's yeah. just playing with that kind of edge. Yeah. Um, okay. Last question. So last time I asked if like your favorite piece or the best piece of advice, I'm wondering now though, is there like a quote that you have memorized that you like, you go back to, or is like a phrase that you're like, cause I'm big on this now. I have like a quote board in my house. Like I'm big on this stuff. Do you have one that stood out to you? <sighs> nothing, nothing. I mean, things teammates have said have stuck with me. Like I'll say Forrest wall again, Forrest, me and him got really, really tight in 2022 and he would always be, always say that i never really like under like you know understood i always thought like base hit like i'll oh, praise him like i got a base hit but he was saying he's more of that more of the line of like praise him for like the ability to do this the ability to provide for my family and just go about this life and this my day-to-day activity you, too many times you go through the motions and like you get stuck in like a repetitive day-to-day and it's like you forget like how f- grateful you should be for like all of those things um and that was something that I kind of, you know, going through the, I went, I don't want to say I went through the motions, but like you get stuck in the every day of baseball and it's every single day, the same thing every single day. And just him saying that every day was like me being able to like take a second and say, wait a second, like be grateful for this, like enjoy this, enjoy what you're doing, enjoy the, the little things and like the crappy food that you're getting in AAA. Like, yeah, that sucks. But like, just embrace it. Like be grateful that there's food there. Just stuff like that. Um, I think that's something that really stuck with me. So maybe not a quote, but something that he always would say. And like, we'd get on the bench, even when we were, maybe we were both sucking or whatever. And he would just like, I mean, like praise him. It's like, yeah. Cause like when you're sucking, it's, that's what makes the success that that much better is because of the stuff that you went through to get there. So yeah, that I think that's something that just stuck with me more than anything. That's such a great one. Yeah, Thank no you. doubt, dude. That's that's I love that. So, dude, this has been incredible. I've been looking Thank forward you. to having you back on. Like, hopefully, we won't have to wait another three years to have you back no. on the podcast again. But, um, this is great. I'm be rooting for you in San Diego. You're gonna crush it, dude. We're so happy for you. Uh, so best of luck this season. And uh, yeah, man, let's. I'm ready for some spring tra- training ball to get going. Thank you. Yes, thank you, thank you. I hope so too. And thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. when you reached out. I was like, all right, yeah, let's do this. Let's do it again. And I saw Rip was on, so I'm like, well, I gotta go on and I gotta talk about Rip at some point. <laughs> this podcast is Ryan Ripkin approved. He is. Oh, I love it. With the stamp of approval. And before we get out of here, a special thank you to the band Stick Figure for allowing us to use today's intro and outro music.
Wait a 